Hi, everybody. My name is Rafa Lombardino, and this is Translation Confessional. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Technology and Translators Last week, while talking about how I started learning Spanish in the 1990s, I had a little side note about technology. It suddenly hit me that younger people may not know what CDs and cassette tapes are, but they were instrumental for people my age and older when it came to listening to music, especially while learning a whole new language through music. That got me thinking, have you ever stopped to appreciate how technology has changed the way translators work? Well, I started working as a translator all the way back in 1997. We used dial-up internet and Google didn't exist. It was founded in 1998. Can you imagine how hard it was to research the subject you're working on and validate the correct terminology? First of all, you couldn't be connected 24-7 because you paid for the internet based on your usage instead of a flat monthly fee. So you needed to keep a list of things you wanted to research and ideally wait until late at night when it was cheaper to connect and there was less of a chance someone would need to use the phone. Yes, kids, the internet came through your landline back in the day. Another issue we had was file size. Well, that's when files started to be sent out as email attachments. Before that, you'd get the hard copy by regular mail and have to prop the pages near your monitor so you could read the hard copy while typing your translation. I had this paper stand with a ruler attached to it, which I'd move line by line to make sure I wouldn't lose my place. Actually, while cleaning up my home office during mandatory quarantine, I found a paper stand I used to use in the early 2000s. When I showed it to my kids, they thought it was something they could use to keep their tablets propped up. But going back to uh, file size, it would take forever to download bulky files. The younger generation will never know what it was like to load web pages and images in the early years of the World Wide Web. Now, I can download big videos from the cloud to work on subtitles, for example. I really don't know how subtitlers worked back then because it's a somewhat recent activity for me as I've been subtitling for about 10 years now. But I can imagine most subtitlers worked in-house. If any old school subtitler is listening to this show right now, drop me a line or leave me a voice message to let me know what things were like back then. How about saving your work? We didn't have the cloud, so we used little things called floppy disks as storage media. If you've never seen a three and a half inch floppy, it looks like that icon in Word that you press to save a file. You know the one I'm talking about. But yes, I got to use the older kind too, the five and a quarter inch floppy. 
and you don't even want to know how many floppies it took to install Windows 3.1 when it first came out. And while I'm young enough to have avoided the 8-inch floppy trend altogether, I did use zip drives in my senior year in college because I needed to save my entire thesis in book format throughout the year. And don't even get me started on how exciting it was when writable CD-ROMs were affordable enough to be used for backups. We didn't have Dropbox and Google Drive to back up our work and had to hope the floppies and CDs didn't get damaged so we wouldn't lose months of hard work. Over 15 years ago, I used to print all the invoices I sent out and keep them in a physical folder marked Accounts Receivable. And that was especially because some clients still requested a paper copy to be sent by regular mail. Then, once payment came in, mostly by check, I would use a big red stamp that said Paid on it staple the detachable part of the check to it, then finally move it to another folder never to be seen again. Unless we got audited, which never happened. And that's how I organized my accounting and kept an eye on late invoices. All clients now are happy to receive an invoice as a PDF attachment, even though they still end up misplacing them once in a while. Since then, accounting programs have got much better at helping you keep your accounts in check and there's very little need to ever print and mail anything. And the few checks we still get can be photographed with a smartphone and sent to the bank as an image so they can deposit the money to our business account. By the way, just like Google, PayPal was also created in 1998. As a matter of fact, something else that changed in the client-business relationship is that some clients nowadays have their own portals where we can upload our invoices to. There are several project management systems that help clients organize their resources and send translators an automated email with information about a project. So you can click a button to confirm you're available and be taken to their portal where you can download a file and sometimes even click a link and be taken to a web-based CAD tool to enter your translation online. And then add that project to the bill and match it with your own invoice to get properly paid. Speaking of cat tools, legend says that Tratus could only work with a dongle back in the day. Do you know what a dongle is? It's a piece of hardware you would have to attach to the back of your computer tower just to make sure you weren't a software pirate and had indeed bought a legitimate copy of the program. Not quite sure if and how people got around dongles back then, But I started using Tratos in 2004, when license management was done at the software level, with a unique user code instead of having a piece of hardware to legitimize you as a user. I transitioned from Tratos to Swordfish in 2008 and never looked back, especially because Swordfish is a cross-platform CAD tool. That means I didn't need a Windows computer any longer to use my CAD tool. That year, we converted all our computers at our home office to Linux Ubuntu, and life became much easier as far as managing our computer systems. And even though I do the bulk of my work in Swordfish and have huge translation memories dedicated to each client, plus a gigantic glossary with terms in my four working languages, I learned how to use a couple of web-based CAD tools as well, because that's how some clients assign files to me. 
So I also had to master XTM and MemSource on the side and consequently feed my clients' translation memories and glossaries as I translate their material. By the way, if you want to learn more about Swordfish, which is available for Windows, Mac, and Linux computers, I'll have some links in the episode description. Also, you can check out my book and class, both called Tools and Technology in Translation, if you want to learn more about how technology can help you become the most effective translator you can be. So, how has technology changed the way you work? Are you an old-school translator who had to adapt and learn on the go? Or did you get started more recently, when all these tools were already available for you to use? Let me know what it's been like for you as you've evolved in your career while making use of technology. Send me an email at rlombardino at wordawareness.com or leave a voice message on my anchor page. If I get enough feedback and voice messages, I can go back to the subject and post a special podcast episode with everyone's opinion on this very same theme. By the way, my anchor page is anchor.fm slash translation dash confessional. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned for weekly episodes and subscribe to Translation Confessional through your favorite podcast app.